Today, we have Dr. Tim Merrick, who is an executive coach. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Let's jump right into this. When you when you start to take a look at how people can make a change in their life, it requires a certain amount of mental preparedness, correct? I would say I would agree with you and, and, and use the word intentionality. You know, there's just, it, you either are run the river wherever the river goes, or you start to choose to steer. And that does take a lot of um, it takes a lot of balls for one thing to, 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 you know, believe in yourself enough to, to go out on a limb and, and, and risk, um, right. To, to be able to say, I actually am the master of my, of my life journey. Um, and if I want to be the hero, I'm going to have to do things that are uncomfortable. I'm going to have to take chances. I'm going to have to do it for the right reasons. I, you know, I like to remember that in the hero's journey, they bring something back to the community. They bring something of value home, which I honestly think in a lot of the modern day world, it's not necessarily in the services we do, but, it, but who we're being, who we're being as a husband or a wife or, or who are we being in a company and do we create a culture that helps people to grow? Um, but we bring something back of value and, that happens through the hard work and the, uh, the, um, the willingness to put it on the line a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I love what you're saying about this making its way into marketing. People want more. I think I, I, I'm going to just go out on a limb, Mike. I think you're probably younger than I am, but we're of a, of a certain age. <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that we were necessarily taught this as kids, but our kids and our grandkids are being taught that you can do anything you want. You can have anything you want. That's the American dream. Um, you know, I was taught work hard, put your head down, um, you know, go to school, do what you need to do. But when the boss says jump, you say how high, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, that's all changing. And now people are like really being told that not only can they be the masters of their own journey, they must. And that has come with so much pressure. And so now they're sitting at home and not only are they kind of wondering what they want to do with their life, but they're being told you've got to do something significant with your life. Yeah, and where is that coming from? What, what, is that school or is it just out there in culture or how did that, because I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing that in the, in the, in the product, in the, in the marketing element too, but where do you think that, where do you think that's coming from? You know, I think that every generation wants their, their, their offspring to do better than they could do. Yeah. Right. You know, that is part of the beauty of this whole American dream is that I want my kids to have what I couldn't. Um, and we have enough, you know, we, we have the audacity to believe that we can actually create that and do that. And we have done that generation after generation. But I also see the parents who never, well, let me say, let me, how do I say it? The more pressure comes on, the more we feel we should be doing something. Ask your peers, Mike, go out and ask the people you work with, are they living up to their potential? Have they accomplished all that they believe 10, 20, 30 years ago that they would accomplish. And I'll tell you the vast majority of them will say no. Right. Yeah. And we want our kids to have it. We, we didn't get it. We didn't get there. 
I don't know that my parents felt that pressure that I do. Did I actually accomplish my goals? But now we want our kids to do it for us. Yeah. One, one of the theories I have, Tim, is that it's driven off abundance. And although we don't, we don't all live in abundance, we live in a pretty abundant world right now. Ultra, Absolutely. It's an ultra comfortable world. Like, it's amazing how, like, you've seen it, right? Like, <laughs> Wi-Fi in a plane and they think the plane's going down. And it's just like, really? You're watching a movie on a plane? You're watching one of a thousand or 10,000 movies on a plane and it's gone off for five minutes and you're upset about that? The, the bar of comfort is really high, you know? And yeah. um, my theory is, and, and, and I think it's because I'm looking at this going, what's sparking some of this? is that we live in a very abundant world. And when we were getting chased by lions, we couldn't kind of sit and think about, well, what should I be doing in this world, right? We were just trying to survive. And I think our parents were trying to survive. I think we're getting to a point in our society where you do have the ability to kind of think about what you want to do in, the, in your life. And with that comes, um, I'm not going to say it's easier, but if you're in survival mode, you don't have the luxury of even thinking of that. But then if you're out of that and you're in a world of complete abundance, then it's, all, it, it's not your obligation, but all of a sudden you have some downtime to catch your breath and kind of say, okay. There's, a, there's an ironic twist in this, and I, I'm, I'm right with you on that, Mike. Um, you know, it, it, going back, you know, prehistoric times, it was fight or flight, you know, eat or be eaten. Yep. And you're right. We have the luxury of not being in that world today. But you might not know about this about me, but I spent 25 years as a functional neurologist through a chiropractic. And I did a lot of work with brain-based um, therapies. And I can tell you that the vast majority of us live in a near perpetual uh, sympathetic overdrive. Sympathetic not being that we have sympathy, but we have our sympathetic nervous system turned on. That's the fight or flight. So even though it's, it's so ironic that we now have the creature comforts that might allow us to relax, the truth is now we have all this pressure to succeed. And so we get into this gotta, 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 <laughs> even though we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, so th there, is no, there is no lion in the bushes, but our brain is looking for a lion in the bushes still in the world we live in, right? It's, yep, absolutely. Our brain is not stopped. If we didn't do it then, we wouldn't be alive then. So it's something that our brains are hardwired for that we just, so if I, if I hear you correctly, that means in a world of comfort, do we look for things then that could be lines in the bushes or we make things, we aren't able to come oh. back as much, right? Oh, this is, this is perfect. And it's, a, and it's a great, and I love this topic. Thanks for bringing it. Um, <clears throat> it really is a choice, but we don't recognize it as choice. So we all as humans live in what I call a context, a narrative, a story, a framework by which we understand the world. It's not a real framework. It's largely imagined, but it makes sense for us and we've learned to use it. Our brains are designed, as you said, to seek what might be dangerous so that we can avoid it, right? I'll give you an example of this. Uh, you ever walk in the woods, Mike? You're up in Connecticut. There's a lot of beautiful woods up there. Okay, so you're walking in the woods you hear a low guttural grunting sound. At the same time, you notice that you're smelling some very pungent organic odor. And all of a sudden you hear a bunch of birds flying away in a, in a great rush to get away. You also notice that your heart is beating faster than normal and your hands are sweaty. 
these are the facts. What does your mind tell you? Yeah, there's something nearby. Danger. Danger. Yeah, danger. There's a predator, right? Get ready to run or fight. Now, all you have is a few bits of information, but you weave them into a story, the story that will most help you succeed in case. You don't have the luxury of saying, hold on, I'm going to wait until that's a bear. And then I'm going to wait to see if that bear is uh, actually mean. By the time you've, you've actually gathered enough information, you're dinner, yeah. <laughs> right? But we do this. We take just disparate, discrete little bits of information. We weave them into a narrative. And these days, it's rarely dangerous. But that doesn't stop us from looking for it. Yeah. And now we, once we are aware of it, then we can choose. It's like the fire alarm goes off in your house, Mike. Now, you're pretty sure that there's not a fire, but you have to make sure. Once you realized, oh, right, I, someone burnt toast. <laughs> it's not dangerous. You feel pretty comfortable to turn off the alarm. But do we do that in life? Do we actually turn off the alarm? Or do we sit there and stew in it? It's a choice. Be, you know, um, my wife came home late. My my narrative might say, is she having an affair? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's one thing you have to be careful of. Right. Are you going to live in that? Or are you going to say, I'm choosing, based on my relationship, to trust this woman who I've said I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? That's a choice. It and uh, It doesn't feel like a choice, though, right? That's the, that's the grand. It's kind of like we're in the matrix. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah feel like a choice like when people are anxious on sunday night for work on monday that feels very real it doesn't feel like a made-up narrative so many of my clients believe they're hard on themselves they push themselves they berate themselves and when you get right down to ask why are you so tough on yourself they'll say well if i'm not i will become i will become complacent uh, I won't get the job done. So the tools they use to be productive is self-abuse. Yeah. Not terribly effective. Right? But you hear that a lot, that it's, it, it provides the edge. But, mm -hmm. it, but that might be an illusion, right? It might work for some people, but it's, it's not, it doesn't make for a happy life. It doesn't make for a happy life. And I, I would actually say that it works short term. I don't think it's sustainable. I think the, um, the story you tell about yourself over time is such that it begins to erode your self-confidence and your drive. So it kind of ends up in the long run doing exactly the opposite of what you wanted to do. Right. So what's the, what should we be doing? How do you step out of the narrative then? Like ah. The narrative for a lot of people seems very real. It, yep. like, and, and the story they tell themselves, I've read, you know, Mel Schwartz and the people like we're almost happier telling a story that's not even real and maybe being feeling like we're the victim of the world rather than feeling uh, taking that pressure of owning our lives. Yes, um, absolutely. Right. It, it, there's a certain comfort in being the victim rather than the star of the show or the hero. Like with that hero's journey comes a certain amount of, of pressure itself. But <laughs> how do you how do you step out of the narrative? And how, I guess in your coaching people come to you, right? Um, mm -hmm. And they say, hey, I'm not where I need to be. Explain to them that they're living this narrative that, you know, you probably talk to them and, and say, okay, that's not real. And let's take a step back or, or how, how does, 
Sure. It's, I always love the, 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 the imagery of like peeling back the layers and, you know, taking and zooming out on this, you know, you know going up 20,000 feet in the air and looking down at it, you know, getting a big picture of it and just asking the questions that it has them answering. If the client answers, it's much more powerful than if I tell. And so asking the questions that gets them to realize that, you know, they have choices and their choices have consequences. Um, I think most people understand the concept that that victimhood is not only not effective, but it's not pretty. <laughs> we don't wear it well. Right. Um, my my surprise is how many people, and I work a lot with successful men in their 50s, and these are men who have grabbed the bull by the horns and been successful, but over time, taking care of everyone else instead of taking care of themselves taking care of family, taking care of teams, taking care of employees or taking care of the boss. They haven't stopped to take care of themselves, never taught to do that. And they, they kind of run out of steam and they start to blame their circumstances more than they ever used to. And so here you have someone who has conquered the world, but their standing has slowly eroded. And they finally come and say, you know, I think I need, I think I need some help because this isn't how I thought it was going to go. Mm. And you'll find that they are blaming circumstances. People, they'll say, you know, my wife doesn't understand me. My teams won't do what I tell them to do. Um, you know, the, the, the company won't, you know, put the right things in the budget. Um, you know, they might as well be saying, you know, my socks are too tight. And, uh, you know, uh, it, at some point, it's stories, yeah. excuses. I like to think of them as back doors. If we put more time on what our commitments are and what we choose to do, what will we create? And then we start to look at what gets in the way. And then you'll see that being a victim gets in the way of you actually getting what you want. And that's when it becomes more apparent that, hey, I don't want to play that game because I've, I've set a goal for something and I can't get there as long as I can stay here. Is it as simple as, and I'm not saying that the shift is simple, but is the mindset as simple as this, that you have to move from a survival mindset to one of a life create? So instead of being chased by the line, you're not being chased by a line anymore. You have the ability to create your own life the way you want. Like you have a lot more say in this and that you are the creator of your day, your, your week, your life. Is it? Is that what you're trying to get people to from where they are? That's what I'm trying to do with my life. Yeah. Um, I have to be careful not to set the agenda like that for my clients. Sure. Um, but I think that what you're talking about is, wow, that, that's like a crack cocaine. To have, for people to get the sense that I could choose my life, I could be the master of my journey. That's, I mean, I think that's why the hero's journey is so compelling. Yeah. And it's not just today. That that archetype didn't start with Joseph Campbell. <laughs> you know, that's that's been around for forever. Yeah. I think it is in the DNA, you know, that we have the sense of what could be. And, you know, I think we all want that. And uh, have you ever heard of um, Michael Beckwith with the Agape Institute? Yeah. Long ago, he, he created this thing he called the four stages of spiritual consciousness or something like that. It's just a framework. It's not a, supposed to be the truth or anything like that. 
but we move from one stage to the next and sort of an advancing um, as we build awareness um, and as we transform. And the very first place to get out of is that victimhood that you're talking about. And we have to be willing to give up blame um, in order to, to move past that. Um, and we, we move from there in his model into a place where we realize we can manifest, we can create. It can, the, instead of things happening to me, I, they can happen from me. I can be the, the builder, but it goes much farther than that. Um, because at some point that still is in a, um, a framework of control mm -hmm. and ultimately of separation. So beyond that, you've heard about the flow state. You ever, you know, yeah. sometimes you're working along and just oh, yeah. time just goes somewhere else, right? We've had people on here not talking about it, yeah. Yeah, so at some point you go from that state of, of I can manifest to the place where it's just happening through you. And you realize, oh, it's not, you know, I'm not that the all powerful. It's like that thing exists in the universe and it's just using me as a conduit. Mm. And it's that, that it happens through me rather than, you know, that sort of hard white knuckle, I can make it happen. And in order to get there, though, you have to let go of control. You have to get, let go of the idea that I have to make it happen. And then his final transition in this model is that we go from having things come through us to ultimately realize that we are not different than anything else out there. Yeah. It's not something that comes into me. We are all that thing. Um, and that level of, of consciousness that gets that it, this is, this is what it is, you know, um, what is it in, you know, the, the, is it the Hindu religion that says, I am that thou art that and all this is that, and that is all there is. So that's the final state is as me. That, that we're all connected, right? Yeah. We don't feel that, you know, it doesn't feel like that right now in this world. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because, man. you know, I, I've heard that framework described a little bit different. Definitely the flow states, like, you know, uh, when people get into flow states that they definitely feel more one with, you know, there's uh, people, the, the brainwaves, parts of the brain, I guess, that create the illusion that we're separated from everyone else, I think shuts down. And then uh, part of it is you start to feel like you're much more connected. It, but it, it just seems like from a, from a cultural consciousness, we're, we're very far away from that right now. I, I agree with you. I, I want to believe, and so this is my choosing to create a, a narrative that works better for me, though it may be complete fantasy, that this is part of a productive, unfortunate and uncomfortable place in our history that we're going through that we will learn and grow from. So almost, almost like the hero's journey, like uh, it is fraught with challenges and that this is something that, and with each challenge, the idea is that you get stronger for the next level, that this is something that maybe from a societal standpoint, we had to go through. What could we learn? Let me just put it that, let, I like to come from a place of curiosity rather than thinking that I know. Yeah. Let's, let's postulate, let's imagine, right? Because I think there's a lot of creativity and a lot of you know, meaning that can be created there. But what do you think this could be, Mike? What do you think that if we're going through all of this, we look at our political system, we look at the, the polarity in our culture, we look at the animosity and the, you know, there's so many disparate sources of news that our reality is starting to fracture. We have people who believe in drastically different views of the, of, of the universe, right? Yeah. What, what, could that, what could that give us? I'm at a loss. 
because I, I would like to think it's all happening for some good, but I, I, I'm not sure, like if you take the hero's journey as an example, if this is a challenge, I'm not sure where we're coming back from this, like where the, what the next evolutionary state would be from this fracture that we're in right now. But uh, so I'm trying to keep an optimistic view on this, but I'm looking at it, sure. uh, you know, uh, when we can't agree on facts and, uh, you know, I actually think um, that I actually think if you got people in a room and start talking about what you agree on, on even really like di very divisive topics like gun control. Well, you know, I, I, I think you'd agree that, you know, uh, no one should be allowed to walk around with an atomic weapon. Everyone agrees on that. And, and, you know, I think you could actually get to a point where the disagreement is on a couple different things. And we actually agree on most of it. And in our world is kind of really focused on the things or ginning up the things that we don't agree on, you know, <laughs> and, uh, or amplifying that. And it's kind of, and I'm not sure why, what that serves us right now. So that's, uh, so I don't have an answer for you on, on where I think this is going. But I do like what you're saying is that the choice to, to look at all that, that, that we have in common or, you know, you're right, the, the media and there's just a, there's something juicy about division that gets our attention. You know, why do we drive past an, an automobile accident? We have to look, right? <laughs> That's kind of morbid, right? I mean, but there's that something in human nature. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of us are, and I'm guilty of it too, you know, looking at all the div division. But I always... I, I can't help but think that disruption has its place as much as we don't like disease or parasites or, you know, bacteria, viruses, fungi and everything. They have a place in the world. They take dead and dying organic matter or, and they eat it up and transform it and put it back to earth. There's a reason for all this. And somewhere there's a harmony that I, perhaps I'm not seeing. Yeah, I mean, um, if you take, I'll, I'll go back in history a little. Winston Churchill during the Blitz, um, you know, he, he said to the, the people of England, uh, you know, um, we're not done. This is actually going to be our finest hour. And I think at the time, people were like, I don't know. <laughs> you know but, but he was, I mean, he was right. He was, it was like they stood against, they, they were the, they were the society that stood against evil. Now they, they you know, it, it took a heavy toll on their society as far as a world leader, uh, world leadership coming out of that, but it was their finest hour. They, yeah. they, they stood toe to toe with evil in the world and said, we're not, we're not, we're, we're going to fight to the last person here. And it was their finest hour. I, I think I'm looking at it now going, I'm not, it, are we in that mode where we just can't see it because we're like the people of England where we, you don't see it because we're right in the fog of it. Uh, I don't. I don't know. That's a really, really great point. Um, it's, you know, you ever heard that old teaching story and uh, about a, a Native American uh, tribe that um, back a long time ago, and the uh, one day a bunch of horses uh, escape from their corral, and everyone says, "Oh, what a terrible, terrible misfortune!" And yeah. you know this. You know the story. No, go ahead. I, I've I've heard it in a different version, but I love oh, it. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And the and the and the chief says, "Well, you know, maybe it's maybe we'll see." And then, of course, the next day the horses return uh, unbidden, and uh, following behind them are, are are you know a dozen wild mustangs. 
And like, oh, the chief was so brilliant. He knew all along it was great. He goes, well, maybe. Because the next day his chief's son goes out and tries to break one of the Mustangs and gets thrown and breaks his leg. And everyone says, oh, what terrible misfortune. He goes, well, you know, maybe, right? <laughs> on and on it goes. The, they send out a war party. The chief's son couldn't go. The war party is slaughtered. The chief's son is spared. Um, you know, is it, is it really lucky of him? You know, maybe, right? We, we can't see in the short run what's really going to be beneficial. Um, and we can choose to say it's great. We can choose to say it's horrible. Or we can say, yeah, maybe. I love that story. And your point, you know, the hero's journey from beginning to end is in, in transformation in general. I mean, people take a look at change and change is hard. And, and I, I like to reframe it and say, no, change is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that kind of puts a different lens on it that, you know, you have to get into a different, you, know, you have to be get, almost get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I would say I'm uncomfortable about what's going on in the country. I'm trying to figure out what I could be learning from it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really with you conceptually speaking, right? It's, you know, we talked in the very beginning of this um, podcast about how our parents have kind of taught us to believe that we can have anything and should really try for everything. I, I think that the idea that we have so much abundance uh, that there's, we're being taught that we ought to be able to stay comfortable. I don't know that you or I were taught that. Maybe we were, but I don't think our parents were taught that. No. Our parents knew that life is hard <laughs> or, you know, it's challenging anyway, and that comfort is a, is a great gift if you get it. Yeah. But these days, you know, I, I, I'm going to sound like an old person here for a second. Sorry. You know, our kids grow up with um, video games and uh, their heads, their speakers on all the time, listening to, to whatever's going on. And we kind of wonder what world are they living in? But they like it. They don't have a lot of demands. They don't have to do any chores. Uh, you know, they just, uh, it's a different world that they are brought up in. I was talking to my kids one day and they said, you know, things, how were things different? They just asked, how were things different? I said, you know, I just was outside a lot more than you were. Like, you, like we were just outside more. People were, kids were outside all the time. All day long. Yeah. Yep. We were just outside. Uh, everyone was outside. And, and, they, and they go, why was that? Why is everyone? And I go, well, part of it was we did not have air conditioning. And our house was actually, when my mom was cooking, it was actually a very hot place. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people would go outside to cool off. And I go, you know, now we're going from, you know, air-conditioned car to air-conditioned house to, you know, God forbid we're in the garage and it's not air-conditioned. And I don't want to sound like an old guy too, but I, I uh, you know, I think that comfort drives a lot of things now that, you know, I, like, uh, I'll talk to younger people and when they start sweating, they, they stop doing what they're doing. And it's just like, oh no, it's like a sign that, something you know bad is happening <laughs> you know, it's uh it's interesting just the, the lens that we put on or like sure. I, I, like i said before i think our our comfort zone is incredibly uh small now getting just drifting a little outside that comfort zone for even a little while uh makes us well the fact that we talk about it the fact that we say hey we've got to get uncomfortable we got to get comfortable being uncomfortable that's become a mantra and most people recognize the 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 efficacy of that. Um, we never even talked about it before. We've become so comfortable that we have to choose, you know, choose outside of it. 
Yeah. But I want to talk about, and, and I hope I'm not taking this too far off track here, but the same way we talked about our parents, look, life was difficult, it was challenging. They didn't actually even see it that way. It was just, that's life, right? Yeah. Um, we've had the luxury of being able to stop and recognize our feelings. And in some ways, I think that's made us more human. We can afford to be compassionate. We can afford to care about people who have less than us. We can afford to be of service. Our abundance is such that we can give a lot of money away in charity. We can go work, you know, because we have time to go and work for, for people who, who, who don't have what we have. But we've also been taught that our feelings are paramount and that we must respond to them. Like somehow, they, I don't know that, that those two have to get conflated. The luxury of having feelings and how feelings make us human and the concept that our feelings now are a clarion call we must answer. Somewhere, there's a third choice. <laughs> there's, a, there's another way that we can say feelings are important, but they don't have to, you know, uh, what is the, the, the saying that says, you know, uh, if we're on a journey uh, in a car, our feelings are in the car with us, but we don't have to let them drive. You know, like you, I hear so many people saying that their, their goal in life is to be happy. Well, I love that and I, and I want you to be happy, but it's a funny thing to aim for. I have it that happiness is a side effect of being of value to yourself and others, of being empowered and feeling that you have choices. Um, happiness is not something that you can easily create. It's like water that falls through your hand. Um, trying to pick up water is very difficult. And feelings have be, become what people are shooting for. I want to feel, I want to feel. And so like you said, they're feeling uncomfortable. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't be doing this. I'm feeling uncomfortable. So at some point, I, I work with almost everybody I work with. At some point, we get down to taking a look at, you know, the difference between feelings and commitment. What are we really committed to? And how do we allow our feelings to augment that or to impede that? How does that fit into the hero's journey? Yeah, the people's feelings? Yeah, maybe it's the fear that they have to go through. In other words, they can't, they have to, they see the fear, but they still must travel on. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. Yeah, I, I think, no, I think you're right. I think, uh, hey, the reality is a lot of people don't take the hero's journey. <laughs> they never, they they're so comfortable in their, in their own little world. Like they don't, they don't, they don't want to venture out uh, of that, even feel the slightest bit uncomfortable. And the whole idea of that they might, that maybe they should be doing something different is an uncomfortable thought. I agree with you. What's that? And I'm sorry, I'm going to do a terrible job of paraphrasing it. But Teddy Roosevelt had a beautiful saying about, you know, it's better to have yeah. risked, uh, you know, great things and lost, uh, you know, valiantly than to, to live that gray twilight of never having, you know, um, tried much or something. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing yeah. a terrible job, but you know, you yeah. probably know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, the great, it's, I think, his most famous quote right, about the, in the arena. And, uh, you know what I think, Tim, is hard, though? I think in many heroes' journey, we've, we're now in our society kind of um, getting that a fixed fix of the hero's journey through surrogate ways, 
through video games and you know i don't play video games but if you look at here like the more successful video games are the ones that closest tie to the hero's journey that there's a challenge you level up you get something for reward there's another new challenge it's you know mm-hmm. they, they've stolen that and then movies the most popular movies out there uh, from star wars on really because uh, mm-hmm. george lucas studied under joseph campbell have all taken that hero's journey and i just wonder if we're kind of kind of using that as a a way because i think the the reality is a real hero's journey can be a very terrifying thing for people and in these movies they kind of romanticize it in the video games it's not real um but in real life there are some real challenges it's really it can be very difficult and i think in a way some of these movies soft coat like you always know what's going to happen, right? The challenge doesn't, you know what I mean? Like the, the hero comes home victorious, yes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> in the hardest part of the Rocky movie is when the music's playing. You're like, they're all pumped up. Reality is training a boxing, uh, training for a boxing is, is in, that's not, you know, like there's aren't, there aren't, you know, the reality is people aren't running down the street with you. You're out, you know, you're up at three or four in the morning. You're training all by yourself. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think, um, I think we've maybe, I don't know if we've hijacked the hero's journey, but, um, I think we maybe have romanticized it a little in that uh, it's not, uh, if you take a look at what Joseph Campbell painted, it wasn't always easy. And your, your biggest growth is going to come from your hardest challenge. And uh, that, I think, somehow isn't communicated to people. I think some people, I think a lot of people now see that hardest challenge and they take it as a universe telling them to quit or stop or go to yeah. another door. Uh, and that's that easy life should be easy again right yeah we've you know, we've been taught bliss, that life should you know, be is that's right yeah. yeah if you follow your bliss you're never going to have an issue and um, um and it'll all come easy right and, do something uh, that you love and you'll never have yeah. have to work a day in your life yeah and i'm sure there's some truth to that but the the other side of it is eh, even even jesus disciples he said hey guess what this you know this isn't going to be easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah he was like very upfront with him saying hey you know yeah, uh, you're one of a chosen few, but guess what? Uh, there's a double. It's a. It's gonna be tough, and nothing's guaranteed here to be easy. And, uh, I, I like that um, a Buddhist phrase that says, "Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional." Yeah, yeah. I think I think life is painful. We lose loved ones. You know, the pandemic has certainly highlighted that. Um, we we are we have tremendous disappointments. We have um, betrayals, abandonments. We have, we have a lot of, um, you know, I would actually say that we're all on a hero's journey, whether or not we recognize it, uh, intentionally engage in it and choose to, to wander out, like you said, to really go out to where it's lonely. No, there's no music playing. It's lonely doing that, that, that training. Yeah. Um, and but we all, at the end of the day, yearn to be that hero, I think, in our lives or for our family. You know, when you go to sleep at night and you close your eyes, who are you thinking of? If you're, if you're thinking about yourself and you're thinking about your own life, you want to be the, you, you want to be the hero in your life. You don't want to feel like, you know, yeah, well, I guess I did okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but if you're thinking of your family, you want you, you want to provide for them. You want to give to them. You want to be the hero for your family. Um, I think we all have that strong desire, and I think the question is, will we? Ah, 
I don't want to say man up, that just sounds too degrading, but will we take the bull by the horns? Will we take the challenge? Will we sign up? Will we say, yes, I'll be uncomfortable? Um, I, you know, I think this happens with the people who, who work with me. That The first thing they have to say is, you know, yes, I'm going to choose to, you know, open up my my life to this other person. I'm going to take a bunch of money out of my pocket. I'm going to um, choose to do things that, that maybe I'd rather not do so that I can get those things that I say I want. Um, so there's a type of a hero's journey right there. What can you and I do, Mike, to help people to recognize that there is maybe not instant reward, but when you put your head down on the pillow at night <laughs> or at the end of your life, that there's something more meaningful when we do take the challenge. I'm at a loss for that. I, I, my gut answer is I live a life that embodies that as a, as a role, as a role model. I, I think that's maybe the only thing in my that I have to, to play on is maybe me doing that to myself um, as a role model. And you model that for your kids, right? And you model it for the people that, that work with you. And being gracious in the, um, in the face of defeat or hardship. There's, there's so much um, inspiration we can give others, you know? I'm really fortunate that I have a life that's I've built, and I, I'm taking credit for it, um, where I have a pretty easy lifestyle. Now, let's face it, um, I'm male and I'm white and I live in America. So I've had a lot of opportunities, um, but I've also taken those opportunities and built on them. And now in my early 60s, I'm, uh, I'm living a fairly relaxed and easy lifestyle. I'm grateful, but I won't say that it's always easy. And I want to be able to be both humble and um, we willing to be vulnerable to show other people that, hey, man, it, life is still hard. There's still heartache. And how we, how we deal with it, how we um, process it, how we accept it, um, you know, do we lean into it or do we resist, avoid, and, you know, and take all of that comes with that. There's a, I, I think you're right. I think modeling it is probably the best thing we can do. Yeah, getting out of bed every day and fighting the good fight, maybe. Right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right, and I and I think in this, and maybe in this divisive world that we live in right now, is maybe not taking the bait. Um, I've what I've been really trying to do is throttle back on that noise, and kind of saying, hey, um, this isn't a good spend of my time. Uh, I could be doing uh, other things other than maybe watching TV and getting riled up. You know. Um, oh. You started the, the, the podcast talking about victimhood and it's juicy. Being a victim is juicy. And then kind of what you're talking about when we watch the news and go, Oh my God, I can't believe that SOB did that thing or, you know, whatever that's victimhood. <laughs> it's, it's being, um, they're having control over your life and your feelings. And we're choosing to let it happen because man, it's juicy. Self-righteousness is powerful. Yeah, it's interesting. I work out in the gym in the morning, and uh, um, you can see it play out on the TVs in the morning. Like, I'm not listening to anything. I'm just watching it, and the stories are different. But they are designed to gin people up 
<laughs> like yes. for, the moment, for the moment they wake out of bed, there's a story like you know, whether it's real, like you know, you know, there's a war on Christmas, or like <laughs> you know, like some of it's not real. Some of it's just like you know, who can who can get who can get you know, you know, some of the things like offend everyone, you know, if it was real. And uh, so you look at it and go, okay, wow, they they're really playing on you know, they're digging on some stories like you know people getting kicked out of school for wearing this you know it, it's it they're they're digging around a story really kind of get that emotion going ignite people's uh, ire is a is the best way to sell advertising I, I i agree and i i unfortunately this is also where we get information from the world it's just unfortunate that they've learned how to spin it in such a way as to engage us in that way but you know it's interesting because sometimes it's that anger that resentment that gives us the fuel to do the things we need to do so i don't want to say that that's always quote unquote the wrong way to go about it no um hey you know the the car falls on your child right uh, or, or whatever right and you take your fear and and passion to lift up a car that you shouldn't be able to lift Right. So thank God we have that capacity. Um, and sometimes, you know, letting our resentment build to the point where that we're willing to say the, the hard thing to say to our boss or to um, the bully in the playground. Um, there's there's ways to use that. But to recognize that if that's the only tool in our toolbox, we're going to burn ourselves out and be bitter <laughs> and we would probably not going to be as effective um, creating our dream world uh, as effective as we'd like to be. Getting back to your, um, what, what good will come from this? Uh, one thing I think may happen is I think we're going to get a, a lot of younger people involved in good ways in politics and um, different avenues. I think they're gonna hear a call out of this saying, I wanna create a better place here. Maybe kind of what maybe John F. Kennedy did to bring a lot of people in. I think that during a time of, I, I think he motivated people. I think, I think this might motivate people a little bit differently, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there might be some good people, good young people hearing a call to get involved. I agree with you. I, we would have to start a whole new tape. We would have to start all over again to start talking about woke culture. Um, I think it's time to have a balanced, compassionate conversation about it um, because I feel there's some imbalance going on. But it, again, my concept of disruption ultimately breaks down old uh, patterns and helps us to create new, you know, more, better patterns. Um, I think you're right. I think the young generation, like Gen Z, is, is very involved. And I'm glad. I kind of sometimes look at the way they're getting involved and I, I have my concerns, but it's, it's engagement and we need that in our, in our society. So I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, what I'd like to, can you come back again? Uh, would you be willing to do that? And, oh, this is, this has been a blast, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> what are um, you doing tomorrow? No, I just <laughs> no but, uh, I'd like to, cause you know what we, there's so many things I didn't, I, I really would like to get into the coaching, not methodology, but I, I think 
in this world nowadays, I just, in this hero's journey, if we're moving, uh, I think the role of a coach is something that is going to become really needed for a lot of people as they transition from, you know, if you have, you know, it used to be you had one job and uh, you did that and then you retired and it's, it's, it's going to be like, that's not the way it's going to be. And, and there's no coaches really out there for that type of movement from moving from one to another and all the different things. It's almost like the ceremonies that we have in our world are almost archaic compared to what we have to go through now in, in our world. So I'd like to have you back on just to talk about what, how you help people and, and what you do. We never got to that, but I love the conversation we had, but I'd love to have you come back and talk about coaching and coaching in society. I would love to do that, Mike. I, 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 I think that we all could use a coach. Yeah. Um, I, I stay away from the idea that anybody needs coaching because that implies that how they are being in their life is not okay. Right. And I don't want to have that level of judgment. If the life you're living is a life that you love, then that's fantastic. Um, but when people say I'm not living the life I want and I'm not sure how to, to go about changing it, well then, you know, by all means, work with a coach right. and um, it'll happen faster and more powerfully. There'll be more, um, personal development, professional development. Um, what, what's really cool is some of the studies that show that the, the changes that take place in coaching are permanent. And that's not something you get in a lot of um, a lot of other professions. Anyway, what, what is it they said in car talk on, on NPR? Well, Mike, you've wasted a perfectly good hour with me. Um, <laughs> no, no, this has been great. I really appreciate you. You know, we, we've never met and uh, uh, this has uh, uh, gone well beyond my expectations. Uh, it was a very interesting discussion and exactly, I think, what our audience is looking for. So I really appreciate you coming on today and uh, I will take you up on inviting you back. I really want to have you back on. Awesome, Mike. Thanks so much for, for having me. This has been, this has been, been great. Thanks. Okay, take care. Day. You too, man. Bye-bye.